This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Troy Antic. On the show with me today, I have sports lawyers Richard Wee and Nick Erman for a show about match fixing. This is in light of the scandal um, recently of two Malaysian professional badminton players who have been charged with match fixing in six tournaments between 2013 and 2016. Richard, what happened? What do we know so far about this case? What has been reported in the news? And as well as um, give us a definition of match fixing. Um, well, first things first, and thanks for having us back here. The 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 two the two players are um, actually involved in the matters. Apparently, are Malaysians in, a, in the badminton case, and the case was recently heard uh, sometime uh, in February in Singapore, conducted by BWF. Um, well, it's all hearings in BWF are confidential according to the BWF statutes, and of course, BWF stands for Badminton World Federation. Now, for match fixing, um, the statute in BWF have defined it to be basically manipulation of a result, uh, and it affects the integrity of sports. Uh, in this area of law, uh, for sports law, we normally refer to it as sports integrity. So, if you would like to define match fixing, it's basically an effort to manipulate the results of the match. Uh, we've spoken about this before in the past interviews. Uh, either you manipulate the end result of the match, or as you sp- said before, spot fixing, uh, where you uh, SPOT, where you fix a particular way the game goes on. Like uh, you have to lose at game fifteen points, or you must uh, hit into the net three times. Uh, that kind of uh, spot fixing. So that is also uh, illegal according to the BWF statute. Mm. Um, you mentioned it, the whole thing has to be confidential. And uh, Nick, I guess one of the reasons why um, a lot of speculation or conjecture is happening in the press is because precisely because everything is kept under wraps. Why does it need to be confidential? Okay, I believe uh, in any matter, when the proceeding is ongoing... Uh, it should be kept confidential because it may be prejudicial to the parties involved. So I think as long as, uh, until the decision is out, everything should be kept under wraps. How would it be prejudicial? Because aren't the people or the judges sitting on this panel, aren't they supposed to be impartial? Or It's not a jury kind of setting, isn't it? Uh, it's not. It's a three-man panel. Uh, but... Um, as impartial as they are, I think uh, the system recognizes that they are human, so they would like to minimize any outside uh, speculation, outside interference, and that is why I believe uh, confidentiality is important in this. And you mentioned three men. Um, who, are, who, who sits on panels like this? Okay, uh, according to the regulations, um, there are three people um, headed by the chair who will then choose the other two. Um, the panel is usually from a pool of experts, uh, usually legal, medical, scientific and um, anti-doping, depending on the type of uh, matter that it's being heard. Richard, um, so this hearing is being conducted in Singapore. Do we know why? Um, first things first, the, the BWF, they have a right to hear the matters anywhere in the world. Um, I, su- I suspect uh, it's me- nothing more than a speculation from my side. I think it's because of the proximity of geography. Uh, the players involved uh, allegedly are Malaysians, uh, and that's why they, I suspect that's why they're they holding it there. Can I add a layer to what uh, Nick said? 
uh, on pertaining to why the matter should be confidential. I think there are great uh, logic to the uh, rules, uh, particularly for sports law rules uh, here. Uh, and the other aspect is actually the players. Uh, in this case, there are two alleged players. Uh, and uh, while some of the reports have mentioned names, um, but it, it makes sense to be confidential because uh, the reputation of the players are already affected. Even if later, let's say, the, the, the decision comes either yes or no, uh, I fear that their reputation has already been uh, um, perhaps adulterated. So, uh, they, they make sense to, for it to be confidential. So, the hearing uh, at the moment, I understand that Singapore is pretty much under wraps. And so, then shouldn't the whole process be kept confidential in the first place instead of alerting there is a trial or there is a hearing in the first place, that there is even a hearing in the first place? I suppose, uh, again, I venture to speculate. I cannot imagine BWF... Uh, Purposely, you know, t- telling the whole world about the hearing uh, in the world where uh, news is easily shared, social media is very much the king of uh, information nowadays. Uh, one just, we just need one person <laughs> who finds out about this hearing, and then the rest of the world will know quite soon. Um, I suspect uh, that's what really happened. Um, uh, also, uh, there were photographs uh, captured or uh, the press seeing uh, two of these players walking to the hearing area, which is, was a hotel. That immediately uh, created speculation that, ah, it must be these two. And uh, the, the fact of the hearing, I, I'm not sure how that came about. But I suppose it's quite difficult to keep things like that fully secret. But it's not about the, the fact of the hearing, you know, it's actually the hearing itself. The content of the hearing and what happens at the trial, unlike our courts where any of us can walk in and, and watch, this is like arbitration. It's, it's pretty much confidential. It happens in the four corners of the room and should stay there. And so because it happens in Singapore, does that mean the panel, um, the people sitting at the panel are Singaporeans as well? Uh, Nick? Uh, it is not necessary. Uh, I think just to uh, add on um, why it was heard in Singapore, I think... Uh, one of the regulations uh, allows that the hearing should be heard in the same continent. Uh, but it, the final say is the panel chair. So the panel chair will have a final decision. So uh, I think um, to avoid um, biasness, I think that's why it was heard in Singapore instead of probably Malaysia. And um, the panel is not necessary Singaporeans. It is uh, everyone in the BWF uh, pool of experts. And are the identities of these panel made public? As far as I know, they, uh, we, uh, I do not know the identity. Okay. And I think part of the confidentiality is that even the members of the panel are not made known until the decision is out. Right. So, so when the decision is out, uh, all the facts of the, mat- uh, facts of the case and the decision makers will be made public yes uh, usually uh, they uh, the decision will be out together with the grounds of judgment which is the reasoning why they came to that decision and the panel will panelists will also be out that is in order for there to be credibility to the decision so usually the three-man panel will be people who are really experts or senior members of BWF mm. Um, 
so Richard, how do you prove that uh, match fixing happens? Well, for purposes of badminton, um, they have their uh, standard of proof is slightly different. Uh, generally, in sports dispute resolution matters, the standard of proof uh, imposed on uh, the adjudicator, uh, the so-called judge who, who hears the case, is that the adjudicator should be comfortably satisfied of the charge. But in BWF, uh, the statutes of BWF uh, indicate that the standard is actually on the balance of probability, very much like a civil suit. Uh, for example, uh, 51%, the, uh, is it? Yeah, so the code, uh, chapter 6.6 .6 of the uh, Code of Conduct in relation to batting, wagering, and irregular match results of BWF states that, that the standard of proof is on the balance of probability. So once you have uh, the standard, uh, that standard imposed upon you, uh, logic will dictate that the uh, inverted commas prosecutor, in this case would be BWF, would have to show sufficient evidence uh, to imply that there is a there's an offence. Uh, as you said, there's now 50% plus 1 or 51%. Um, I suppose to prove uh, match fixing, it's pretty obvious that there must be clear evidence that the result of a particular match uh, if you flow backwards, uh, confirms a certain exchange of uh, information, uh, text messages, phone call, recorded conversation of two persons planning to um, uh, mischievously change the result of a match. So let's say uh, BWF have, have evidence of um, a recorded conversation between Mr. A and Mr. B. And Mr. A tells Mr. B, you know, you've got to lose this match and you've got to lo lose it in three sets. The third set, you must lo lose it at 16, 21-16. Uh, so true enough, the third set, Mr. B loses at 21-16. So that results and the, the evidence match. That will probably help the case. Um, but in, in badminton disputes uh, for dispute resolutions, it's, it's not like our court case where uh, there's strict adherence to evidence, there's strict adherence to the uh, court decorum. The, uh, most of these tribunals are done internally. They have their own rules. Uh, parties are accorded the opportunity to speak. Uh, and the inverted commerce prosecutor would have had the, all the opportunity to tender in the relevant evidence uh, taken into account and then the three panel uh, judges will, will decide so uh, pretty much a fluid process like, unlike our court process which is a bit more uh, methodological I'm speaking today to sports lawyers Richard Wee and Nick Erman about the match fixing scandal in Malaysian badminton that has been in the news recently up next are come back and ask um, how does BWF go about gathering evidence for cases of match fixing. Stay tuned on BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Live and Learn. I'm Troll Intake. With me today is Richard Wee and Nick Ehrman, sports lawyers, and uh, we're talking about the match fixing scandal in Malaysian badminton. This, um, in light of the case where two Malaysian uh, shuttlers were accused, they're facing six charges of match fixing in um, six tournaments between 2013 and 2016. So the, whole, the, the hearing is being conducted in Singapore at the moment. Um, everything is being kept under wraps because there is a requirement for the whole process to be confidential. And according to news reports, 
one of the reason or rather the, the reason why this whole investigation started in the first place was because um, one of the players' lavish lifestyle um, raised some suspicion. And so the players or the player uh, were monitored for a year and he even had his um, text messages of his phone uh, on his phone looked through. So I was wondering, um, Richard, if you could, uh, if I could start with you, does the world body like BWF has the authority to look through a player's uh, private devices? Um, that is a very good question, Antik. Uh, the firstly, uh, organizations like BWF or even you know FIFA, UEFA. Uh, they they don't have a, they're not policemen, they don't have uh, powers to go into your house and search your house etc etc. But in this case, uh, what I believe happened is probably the result of uh, uh, the code of conduct uh, by BWF, which states that uh, effectively states that if uh, BWF uh, believes a player is uh, may have committed a corrupt uh, offence in this case uh, match fixing then BWF may call the person for an interview. And at the interview, uh, the organisation may request for uh, matters including itemised phone billing, text messages, uh, contents uh, of Facebook, Twitter, etc. Even bank statements. So it's actually probably a flow-through from that interview that they have they obtained this. With regards to the lavish lifestyle, yeah, because the players signed this code of conduct, uh, the uh, BWF does have uh, a moral responsibility to keep an eye on the players. Uh, if the player constantly qualifies to the third and fourth round and, and gets knocked out and therefore earning maybe two to five thousand US dollars per tournament, for example, I'm just giving an example, it doesn't make sense for the player to be driving a uh, hundred thousand US dollar vehicle. It doesn't make sense. There's no logical connection to that. So that may um, provoke or may cause a raise suspicion or cause suspicion in the organisation for them to call the player for inquiry. And when that happens, I repeat, they may ask for those uh, communication uh, contents. Uh, Nick, Richard say we should appeal to logic, but at what point does the BWF would think that something is lavish, for example? At what threshold? One too many holidays, one too many cars that there is cause to be suspicious and launch a, a full-blown investigation into a player? Okay, I think unless it is really... Uh, I, I believe BWF does not have the monitoring capability to actually check each and every player uh, under, under, their, under their belt. However, I think uh, for such matters, uh, not only for this matter, in other matters there is usually a whistleblower who will give some information that leads them to suspect uh, and start an investigation. So uh, I don't know what happened in this uh, particular case, but I'm talking generally, um, maybe there was a whistleblower, maybe there's not, but um, there must be some one or some report uh, put forth to BWF that started them to investigate these players. In the statute, is there any mention of a whistleblower mechanism or any protection or immunity for someone who wants to uh, report a crime? Okay, um, the BWF um, 
reporting system is, uh, I would say, quite impressive because the problem generally with whistleblowing is that people do not know where to go to and they feel that their reports are not taken seriously. So in this case, uh, if you check out the BWF reporting system, there's actually a whistleblower form to report offences. And if that is not enough, you can actually email directly to the Secretary General of any uh, suspicion. So I think um, this is a really good system for me personally because there's a lot of other whist- that whistleblower systems that are not as clear or direct as BWF. Mm. We've been talking, uh, Richard, we've been talking about BWF so far and what role does the national body play in cases like this? The, in this case, it's the Badminton Association of Malaysia. Well, um, I, I think in this case, uh, BAM had sent a representative to, to the tribunal. Um, and I, I suppose the reason why uh, in, our, in our case, BAM is involved is because the players are Malaysians. Um, so in the, usually uh, when the, such an the investigation takes place, it is a BWF investigation. So uh, the local, in this case, the national body, most likely won't be directly involved. Uh, it makes sense because BWF needs to maintain some sort of uh, uh, objectivity when they ob- uh, conduct the investigation. So yes, uh, I believe the reason why BAM was at the hearing in Singapore were the players, players were Malaysians and they were invited to be there. But these were not BAM players. Does it make any difference that they are, um, so to speak, ind- independent players? Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, even though they played under whatever club name they were in the past, uh, all badminton players uh, who are playing in an international tournament eventually will have some relation or connection to BAM in our case. So, yep, uh, it still makes sense for BAM to be there. Uh, I, if I'm PWF, I will call BAM to be there. Right. Yep. Is this the first? Uh, is this the first such case involving match fixing in Malaysia? If you're talking about badminton, I believe it's the first one. But I think the more common match fixing will be the football scandals. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's well known. That's well known. How prevalent is that? I think the ones that are being prosecuted by MACC, um, I think that can be that figure can be obtained. But the thing, the thing about uh, match fixing in the criminal courts, the burden is slightly different, which is beyond reasonable doubt. The burden is higher. So if match fixing were to go under the particular spot, I think there might be a lot more cases, if there were any. Right. Um, so. Most of these cases, or, or rather, whenever we talk about match fixing, the focus would always be on the players. But in Malaysia, at least, is it a crime to be a bookie, Richard? I think yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, it is a crime. But I'm not sure how how we're going to establish the person as a bookie. Uh, off the cuff, I I cannot pinpoint a particular provision in the law which will make a bookie illegal. But I'm quite certain that that, that is illegal. But um, uh, unfortunately, uh, bookies are not not under the prevalence and uh, the not under the umbrella of the sports association. So the sports association BWF or uh, swimming, squash, whatever, they will only be uh, in charge of the people involved in that game, uh, which is usually the coach, the players, the officials. Uh, but 
people like the bookie, uh, media, they're all outside. Uh, so the association won't have any control over that. So, Nick, without the arbitration process set up by the BWF, these two um, Malaysian badminton players, they would have have went through the criminal court process in Malaysia if there was a ch- charge or allegation brought forward? Uh, yes, I think they're still not scot-free yet because uh, I'm not sure where the MSCC stands on this. If the offence is committed in Malaysia, I think some investigation will take place. I believe maybe the MCC is waiting for the decision of uh, BWF uh, as I believe most of the evidence is with BWF. I think after the date BWF has concluded their investigation. Maybe, maybe MACC may uh, conduct their own investigation, but uh, it's still up to them. Does such a, an arbitration process exist in FAM for football? You mean uh, if... Because... Um, arbitration for sports. Yeah, because Nick was saying how the balance of probability is... Uh, sorry, the... The threshold to find someone guilty um, in match fixing is harder if it has to be beyond reasonable doubt. Let's see if it's in the criminal courts, yeah. 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 But in the court of arbitration, well, okay, uh, the court of arbitration for sports is based in Lausanne in Switzerland. Uh, For BWF and for FAM, that is the uh, an appeal level. You can actually appeal to that court Uh, in both. uh, since we mentioned FAM as an example, FAM and, and uh, BWF is heard internally first. So I, I, I'm BWF, I'll hear the case. And if uh, one of the parties is not happy or not comfortable with the case, they can appeal to CAS. Of course, in some instances, you can actually initiate your matter at CAS, Court of Arbitration for Sports. But uh, to answer your question here, I, I think the, um, the in this case, if the players are found, um, say, not guilty uh, or otherwise or guilty one of the parties may appeal to CAS the good news is that CAS can be heard in Malaysia now uh, our AIAC formerly known as the KLRCA uh, which is the ASEAN International Arbitration Centre AIAC they have signed an MOU with CAS a few years ago and uh, that MOU uh, effectively permits hearing of sports arbitration matters in Kuala Lumpur uh, that is actually fantastic because economically it saves uh, athletes around this region a lot of money. Instead of flying to Switzerland, they can hold a hearing here. So what happens if a player is found guilty of um, match fixing? There's, there's a few uh, sanctions that uh, can happen to them. But I, but I think for something, the most severe um, sanction available that BWF can um, impose is um, life uh, life ban, and is that good enough? Is that is that has that been effective in curbing match fixing? I think for badminton, since this is the first one, uh, I believe it'll be the trial and error kind of thing. But if you're talking about football, generally um, doesn't seem to make any difference because the key pain point is the bookies. So if you if you ban, for example, the players, uh, the bookie is still out there doing doing their thing. So you're not solving the root problem of match fixing. Uh, you're, but it is 
uh, I believe it should be severe enough to scare the players into doing this again, other players. How would you suggest or propose solving the other end of the problem, which is the book- bookies? Uh, collaboration between the local police uh, and the sports organizations. Uh, with sometimes there's no communication uh, between the organization and the police. There's lack of uh, exchange of information, uh, things like that. So, unless there's a more open collaboration. Um, you're not really going to stop match-fixing. So right mm. now, we, we don't have that kind of collaboration in uh, Malaysia? On rec- from what I understand, um, there's nothing specific. So maybe maybe they're not really uh, holding back, but there's no open communication, I believe. Right. Um, Richard, do we know whether making sports betting legal would help address... Uh, match fixing well um, be- before that can I, can I just uh, add a layer to what Nick has mentioned about the live band mm-hmm. in theory I think Nick has said some pretty uh, practical issues but in theory the live band particularly for badminton is to ensure that the um, the person uh, if found guilty absolutely stays away from the game and that makes sense. Uh, if a person has been caught for match fixing before, then he or she should never ever be involved in the game. Then that means not just not taking part, but you cannot even be near. Okay, of course, if you want to play badminton outside your house, that's that's another matter. Um, with regards to uh, making sports betting legal, uh, research have shown. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have statistics with me at the moment. That uh, nations with a proper sports betting uh, concept, uh, Europe. Um, the states, uh, even nearby in Singapore, uh, where they have a particular sports betting, uh, the, the 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 whole uh, regimen is is uh, governed by laws. It seems to have lessened the impact of uh, match fixing, but unfortunately, I wouldn't say that it's fully uh, curing the problem. Uh, at the end of the day, if uh, the athlete uh, is uh, exposed, uh, either being paid poorly or um, affected by threats, which is also very common uh, conse- results of uh, match-fixing because the players are, are, are threatened. Um, if that is not eradicated, is not stopped, then no matter how much you regulate sports betting, the players will still be fixing matches. So, for example, if a player is threatened that you know if you don't do it this way and con- conduct the match in a particular way, uh, I, the gangster, or I, the bookie, or I, whoever, will come after your family. What would the player do? Mm. Chances are the players will start to be concerned and things may happen. So, in fact, that is another issue which may have to be addressed. Unfortunately, there's not sports law matter. There's actually more of a criminal matter, policy, uh, maintenance of uh, some sort of a system uh, which will protect the, not just the game but the player. Um, and then uh, we have to go after the people who are fixing the matches. Uh, re- relevant laws have to be imposed. Uh, Malaysia has very strong laws at anti-mine laundering. That is an effective area where Malaysian uh, prosecutions can use. 
etc. Uh, etc. Et but as you can see, that's another area yeah. of, of law. Yeah. yeah. So because there are so many extenuating circumstances and factors we have to consider, for, from the player's perspective, is it not too punitive to impose a, a life ban? What about second chances for the player to, you know, regain his reputation? I look at it in two angles. Uh, firstly, uh, I take a position that no, once you are caught for match fixing and you have proven it that to be involved, then you should never be involved anymore. Because there are processes in the system which allow you to come forward and inform uh, the relevant authority. Uh, of course, the, the question whether the relevant authority is effective within that organization, within the association, that's a secondary question. Maybe the player feel I. I don't think I can get help from my official. That's the issue of effectiveness. But the issue of accommodation, the issue of uh, existence of a system, we have. We have sufficient system to help the players uh, to come forward and inform the authority in the, in the association of a particular effort to fix a match. So he or she should have done that. So I take a legal position that if you are found guilty, too bad. Secondly, actually, another bigger issue uh, beyond law is the uh, image, the uh, goodwill of the player. So if a player has already been found guilty of match-facing, I don't think anybody will ever want to engage a player anymore. Even if uh, uh, BWF or whoever uh, believes in the concept of second chances, somehow sports... Uh, take a look at our infamous Ben Johnson in '88 when he was found uh, guilty of steroids taking in the... Seoul Olympic he never recovered nobody ever believed him anymore and true enough when, when he came back many years after that he was tested positive again and that's it that was the end of his athletic career in fact he's now infamous for being a speaker not as a because he spoke out and admitted that he took drugs so I think sports is the nature of sports is that because people believe in the in the sports believe in the virtues and the direction and the purpose of sports if the people involved in sports have manipulated the purpose of the sport uh, and, and people lose that belief because of that person then that person will never gain trust so even if you want to give a person a second chance I doubt he, will, he or she will get a second chance so it's best in fact the player just move on and do something else if you ask me Nick um, perhaps I'll end with you what, what happens next with this hearing and um, if the these players are found guilty, what recourse do they have? Okay, for the appeal process, um, they have 21 days to file uh, an appeal to the appeals board uh, once they receive the decision. Then, um, then the appeal will be conducted in the similar procedure as the hearing. If they are still not satisfied, either BWF or the players, they can appeal to CAS. Uh, so, as mentioned by Richard before, um, CAS can be heard in KL. I think I read a report from a former badminton player that advised the players not to appeal. I think that is um, not the correct position. I think if the avenue for appeal is allowed under the regulations, the players should be allowed to appeal. And the fact that CAS can be heard in KL... So there's, there is no issue, no big issue on cost. Thank you very much uh, uh, for thank speaking you. today. Thank you for having thank us. You Cheers. You've been listening to Live and Learn BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.